supposed to stop and stop looping. <laughs> what do you think of that selection of music as opposed to uh, Trap Tribe? Uh, I think you're trying to elevate the cheese factor of the show there, John. Hey, well, this this track pops up and this is called Night Driving. That music is called, oh, this is Night Driving. don't think i would play this music while i was driving at night it would probably put me to sleep it was say it's perfect night driving when you're in your uh self-driving tesla (laughs) okay (laughs) yes i'll 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 give it if you're in an autonomous vehicle and you want to take a nap go ahead and play that wow this that got autonomous vehicle right on our closed captioning kind of cool i don't know do i want that picture tonight or do i want the big picture Autonomous or anonymous? I don't know. I'd have to back up. Oh, okay. So how's it going, John? Actually, it spelled both of those words right when you asked that question. Rock on. How's it going? Oh, I can't complain. Uh, Another what? I don't know. I haven't even looked. Probably 1,000 miles over the last three days. All I do is drive and drive. But I got a question for you. And I I put my little uh, button on green in my car. And the little gauge basically says how many miles I've gained on that tank of gas because it's being frugal with the gas. Do you believe that? I don't really believe the computer, gas mileage computer ever. I just don't. Well, it's not necessarily, uh, I guess, a gas mileage computer. But I don't know. It's telling me I've like I gained 17, 18 miles this week between the I filled up three times because it. I pay attention to fuel prices and Northern Alabama is much cheaper than where I'm at, um, like, like 30 cents a gallon. So I filled up multiple times while I was, I'm, that's where I was in the Huntsville, Tennessee area last couple of days. So just, uh, just wondered what you felt. Some people say, no, it doesn't do anything. Um, but I know if I drive in sport mode, I sure drop gas mileage and uh well yeah i mean everybody's gonna know that if you drive conservatively you're going to save gas i mean driving at 55 to 60 mile an hour for long periods of time uses a lot less gas than driving 90 for that same distance well so i have it programmed for 80 miles an hour so if i go above 80 it turns off all the green function but if it's 80 or below it it operates in green function and of course i drive like i do you know accelerate hard from the stoplights, you know, brake late, all all the stuff I do that normally eats up gas. But, you know, the the green mode, I can tell the throttle response is a little slower, which is actually scary sometimes. And, of course, when I click it into sport mode, it, it really livens up a little bit. But eh, that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, what do we got here for... Uh, we've got Jason and Toby out there. Uh Uh, Wow, bringing in the paint color while he's griping about trying to put in new points. Well, that's a problem. You're trying to put points on a VW. I mean, that's... I know, it's just just not fun. It's a bitch to get to that uh, distributor behind the radiator in those things. Moving on. Soft pastel yellow color. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm on beer break. Hey, I think John's on a beer break, too. Well, wherever my camera is, I'm on a beer break. Look at that. The invisible bottle. Genius using rolling rock. Yeah. <laughs> Let me use a green bottle. Well, I actually went to pour it in my iced beer glass, but it looks like I forgot to put the glass back in the freezer when uh, I washed it the last time. But we shouldn't be talking about drinking and uh, drinking with uh, literally a glass in in a what was that car type show. We, we but, weren't. We were talking about the green color of the bottle, John. But this is a... This is the discussion about color. That's why we're talking about the green color. Yes. Good thing I didn't put on a green shirt. I'd just be headless. Be a head bouncing around here. And hands. Maybe I'll do that. I'll wear a green shirt. <laughs> just be a head and hands. Yeah, you could you could pull off the max headroom thing. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. That is a computer generated um, graphic from what? 85, 86. He used to do Coke commercials and had his own TV show for that us. That was a TV the- show. The, the y- younger listeners out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
robotics, AI. So I got onto this topic or thinking about the history of color, and I wanted to go, I'd heard something many years ago, and I wanted to go research it a little bit. And I found a couple articles that kind of pointed and agreed with what my my memory was, because we're in this $6 a gallon gas, $4 a gallon gas, depending where you live, $100 a barrel oil, which obviously has no bearing on the price of gas. Um, and slipping into this, they're telling us a uh, potential recession with interest rates and that. And I don't want to get political on the show, but um, brown is a very popular color usually during a recession and leading up to a recession. And a couple of these articles kind of highlight that, that it's kind of the earth tones. And it really came on big in the mid 70s, late 70s, where brown cars and tan cars and beige cars really began to get popular again. I mean, if we go back to the 40s, I remember a lot of tannish beige cars from there. Uh, I can't say much earlier than that, but it seems every time we have a recession, we go to these earth tones. And which one of these, I got too many things highlighted here, where PPG was actually predicting that um, uh, the Browns are going to start making a comeback. And they started to predict that about two years ago. And they started to see the trends that those Browns were coming back. And here we are two years later. And there's, you know, that's just, that's what got me on this topic of discussing color. And then some of the research I came across just totally contradicts what you get told at the car dealerships. But what's your what's your thoughts? It's kind of that's how I got on this topic of color and wanted to go down this road. Well, I mean, my uh, I mean, obviously, color is an interesting part of automotive history. And, you know, the color cars are painted in different decades, different generations, whatever you want to say, can be a direct reflection Ah, reflection, if you get a good paint job, um, of, you know, whatever's going on in society and culture at the time. So, you know, we see it after World War One and World War Two, where brighter colors start showing up on cars because we're in this happy-go-lucky feeling, you know, in, in society and, and culture, especially in America, right? I mean, after World War Two. Yeah, we get into the 1950s and we see the pastel craze because everybody's life's great, life's good, the war is over, the economy's doing pretty good. You know, everything's everything's going you know Pleasantville. Um, we move from black and white of the war to you know this amazing world of color, uh, and you know the same thing happens in the 20s after uh, World War One. You start seeing some colors, but. So there's that direct tie to the history of, of the automobile and, and culture and society. But I also find paint extremely interesting due to just the, the conservation in transportation collections and understanding paint history and the paint techniques that were used through the different generations, uh, you know, and, and understanding all of that. Because as we, you know, in the museum field, as we conserve cars and preserve them, we have to understand the paints and and what's happening to them and all of that. So anytime anytime we talk about paint and color, I'm happy, John. I don't care if it's well, brown and black. I'll still be happy. Well, you don't think, you know, that you were talking, say, after World War One, cars became brighter and colors started to appear a lot more. Uh, Henry Ford by then was painting cars in multiple colors again. Well, let's let's not say that though, because don't forget that the late eighteen hundreds and early nineteen hundreds, the paint was not as good, but they had some bright colors. Well, we were I mean, there. Get there to are some it. intensely bright yellows, things like that, early on. Okay. But stay focused on the decades that we're at, and we're going to get back to that. No, I'm working on my ADHD, John. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I took my Adderall a little bit late today, so <laughs> I'm going to be very productive till about three in the morning. But. In the twenties, didn't we started to uh, d- develop color, the bright color paints, and that uh, Duco paint debuted in twenty three, and the colors actually lasted. Uh, the colors before that kind of had a tendency to fade. It's, I mean, it's just the paint technology got better, and by the end of World War II, we got we started to go back to bright colors. 
but metallics were just slowly being introduced. And American metallics used um, aluminum flakes, and uh, European metallics used uh, fish scales. Did they not? Uh, can't can't remember what the fish was. Yeah, the earliest the earliest uh, metallic paints tended to be fish scale, and I think it was it. I want to say it was herring scales. That's, I think it was that, but it was a ridiculous. It was like. 30 or 40,000 scales to make a... Um, I think it was 30 to 40,000 fish, 30 to 40,000 herrings to make to a, certain amount, a certain amount of paint, uh, metallic paint. That's the bold and bright days that you were just talking about. Peacetime, wartime, we get colors, there's Duco. Um, it's 30 to, it, it took, on average, 30 to 40,000 herring to create one kilo of paint. So one kilogram of I wonder what that translates to. A cup? <laughs> uh, no, I hope not. Two and a half pounds of paint. That's really not a lot. Probably not. Probably not. But Toby says fish scales. We used to save them off the fish pump and sell them mm-hmm. to the paint companies. I mean, I knew Toby was old, but I didn't know he was that old. I say, hi, Dana. We haven't heard from you in a couple of weeks. Guess Jason, uh, I'm not going to accuse him. No. See here. So where where were we on paint? So we got metallics coming out. Uh, where were we headed with it? Well, I was just talking, you were talking that the vibrant colors appeared after the wars. But like all innovations and such, war develops new things. And I don't know if war created the these colors and that. But just, again, after World War One, bright colors came about that lasted after World War Two more bright colors came about uh, because of, like I said, the metallics and some changes in paint formulations and uh, applications. And then go back to the twenties, they figured they improved drying times in that, which I'm sure is a result of the war is being able to paint a vehicle, get it to dry fast and uh, go on. So I'm saying, yeah, the paints came around maybe at a key time, but I'm thinking that I'm not going to, it's kind of odd because I don't want to say that, we didn't come out and we were all yay and it's the roaring 20s and the baby booming 40s and 50s uh, and we were all bright and lively. But I think the technology had something to do with it because it was new technology and we always want new technology. Well, it does. Yeah. And I mean, you know, these things obviously are developed and, and as you know, war is great for economy, right? I mean, the war World War One, World War Two, more so World War Two, World War One, a little bit because America got involved much later in the war. But it always improves economy because your factories are producing goods; they're selling to the government. I mean, it's all it's all driving industry, and and especially World War Two, one of the greatest technology booms in you know in the world, probably since the Industrial Revolution. Uh, you know the the ability to design, engineer, and build the things that were built during World War II and come up with some of the processes that were created is just incredible what happened during that time period. But, you know, that also, I think, leads to the happy-go-lucky feeling, right? I mean, you have a society that has just come out of war and and your, especially in America, your industry has led the way in new technology. I mean, you're damn proud of yourselves, right? I mean, you're you're wanting to celebrate. Uh, so, you know, I think that I think it does factor into it. And yes, I mean, a lot of the developments that happened are what, you know, led to these various technological developments. And what I want to say that, I don't know, just poof, it all went away. Did you guys see it run out of my ears or something? Mm-hmm. So I think I was going to slide it back to we're going to go backwards in time here a little bit. That's kind of where you want to go. One of the most famous quotes I absolutely hate because it makes people, because of the quote, people seem to be extremely misinformed. And that's Henry Ford. You can have it any color you want as long as it's black when it comes to the Model T. How many years was that true, Derek? Uh, that's a crapshoot. Uh, <laughs> te- technically, technically, sometime around the mid-1914 production until 1925. So for only about 10 to 11 years. And the Model T was produced for 20? 1909 to 1927, so 18 years. So it's not a little over half its life, but 
seen some. It was see- it, what they don't understand is it, it was a quote from the time period of the moving assembly line. Well, Ford Motor Company still was the leading market sales auto manufacturer in the United States. That's what people have to understand. Henry said that when he was on top. And yes, he was only painting Model T's black. Um, it actually started out in, in when they started working on the moving assembly line, um, you know, late 12 playing around and then through 13, actually the the color that they had that would dry quicker and that they were already using was the dark blues. And so the dark blues just consistently got darker and darker and darker until all of a sudden it was just black. I mean, they just moved it to black and that was the end. But there are actually very early 1914 Model Ts that if you actually inspect them, unrestored uh, uh, original paint cars, that the pigment is actually an extremely dark blue um, that they created. Yeah. And, and by the time they went to the black, if I'm correct, it sort of became more of a little bit asphalt-based paint because it dried quicker. And that was the whole thing is to turn cars, turn cars, turn cars. And again, technology. It was the drying time. That's why it was only available in black. He wouldn't have cared. Model T's could have been bright yellow if you could have got the damn paint to dry in, you know, the same same amount of time or less. So Yeah. And in reality, the dry time was only a little bit, it wasn't that much of a window shorter, but it was just shorter. It was, it was, it was quicker to dry, slightly quicker to dry. But the big thing was, you didn't have to stop the assembly line. You didn't have to, even today, well, today they're getting to a point where they can do it a lot easier. But back then, if you were doing all your touring car bodies in red, well, you had to send a batch of touring cars in red through the paint line. And then if the you know, runabout was coming through and that was going to be green, well, uh, well, we got to stop and we got to change all the equipment out to spray green and we got to reload everything to green and and there was also the downtime of changeovers. And that's something we don't have today because the new paint systems in factories today, they have multiple paint guns. They have, mul- I mean, they have robots that just switch out. I mean, the moment's notice you can send uh, the, the new paint shop at the Corvette plant. Yeah. I got the opportunity to see that and they don't have to do cars anymore in, you know, Oh, here's five blue ones. Here's five white ones. Here's five, you know, bodies in these colors. They can switch every car to a different color because of the way the new systems were back then. No, no, you had to shut down the line. You had to switch everything out in the paint system and then keep moving. And, and in the earliest days in 09 and, and through say 12, the bodies had to sit and dry. They had to paint them and then put them up at Highland park. Fantastic facility. But there literally was one level that was just the body storage for the bodies as they were drying. So, I'm going to slide it back a little bit more to where you wanted to and uh, uh, go 1900 or so. Even prior to that, bright colors were in. Mm-hmm. Only lasted a year or two before they would fade or something. But then again, cars were toys for the rich. So they would just repaint them. Um, they weren't practical everyday devices. Literally, they were toys. And it just, as technology went along and technology went along, we got a little bit better. We got a little bit better. Bright colors, fabulous colors. Uh, I want to jump up now. I want to jump fifty years into the future. But well, before go ahead we and there, talk I about mean, so go ahead and talk about nineteen hundreds <laughs> there, Derek. Yeah, before that, I mean, you know, and anybody that ha- is is a you know student of history, all you have to do is think back to look at look at the items they have pulled out of you know the Egyptian tombs around the pyramids. And the things that have been, you know, sealed up inside those tombs and the bright colors. Humankind has been playing with pigment and and creating color since, I mean, the days of the cavemen. And we are enthralled by color. I mean, it is, it's, it's a, you know, uses one of our most important senses, which is vision and, and helps us to understand things. And that's a lot of people think that, and and probably because of the Model T, that all antique cars were, you know, dark colors. They were oh, they had dark black and you know, dark black. Wow, uh, they had black <laughs> and they had dark blue and 
you know, everything was just dark. And even some of the early uh, Ford cars that were red, okay, they were a red color. Everybody knows they were red. Um, There are cars, there are Ford early, I mean, talking about 93 Model A's, things like that, that people have painted almost a deep maroon color. And it, well, it's red. And I, you know, we, there was one that was this dark of a color back in the 1960s. It had to be the original color. Um, yeah, but you have to understand the paints of that time aged. They darkened, they yellowed. So a bright red after being exposed to UV and oxidation becomes a maroon color because they don't, they didn't have the protective clear coats and the different. You know, products that we have now to preserve those colors. They were using essentially the same processes that, uh, you know, I mean, on carriages and automobiles that you would, you would have seen used on beautifully painted wood furniture inside a house. And of course that wood furniture is going to stay beautiful as long painted, the painted portions, so long as it's not sitting in front of a window where UV is coming in. But now you have an automobile that spends a, a good portion of its life running around outside in the sun and, you know, the environment in general, and it it degrades the paint surface. It's going to oxidize. It's going to get UV damage, all these things. It's going to change the color. So that's why we have to be very careful. And Colin was going to back me up on this, I'm sure. When we're studying early automobiles or early carriages or anything, and we're looking at original paint, we have to factor in the you know age to that paint, the oxidation, the UV damage, and there's actually you know some of the big car or big paint companies, and I know Sherwin Williams has done this in the past on cars because I know one of the cars that was restored and used the process. They actually found original paint, took it off and did the microscopy on it and ran it through their systems to actually determine how much UV damage had happened and recreate the pigment color prior to UV damage. So the car could be painted the correct color, not the darker tone that the UV and oxidation had caused. Sorry, I just went on a really long rant, John. Yeah, it happens. I've got a big clock I want to buy, but it's going to be a surprise. I've got a new studio coming. And it'll go in the new studio, this big thing behind us. It's not like the little clock in the right-hand or left-hand corner of the screen. Just don't let but, it be digital. Can we get a really cool analog? Like, You know what we need? We need one of the chess clocks. We just got to slap it every time we go on a rant. Ooh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Just figure that one out. Oh, yeah. And Toby, 100%. Actually, I, I was looking at a... Uh, I was at the um, Cincinnati Concours. Uh, sorry, Toby. <laughs> I keep forgetting that you know, this is an audio podcast and I just get rolling on this video and, and comment thing. Um, you know, Toby talks about the fact that didn't they varnish over the early paints on, on carriages and automobiles. And yes, they did. And there was a fantastic, uh, shocked high wheeler, uh, Cincinnati, uh, built high wheeler at the Cincinnati Concours, completely original. This thing is untouched. I took a ton of pictures of it, detailed pictures because, the varnish coat, you can see where it's alligatored and, and shrunk back. And then the big thing is, and some of the you know ways cars are restored today is inaccurate. You know, those cars had a lot of, you know, it might be a red. This was, in, in fact, a red car with very thick black highlighting on the body beads. And then actually a yellowish gold pinstripe. And, you know, some restorers would you know, tape off where the black's going to go. They'll paint the red, then they'll take off and they'll paint the black. This one, you could see where the black had, you know, shrunk back with the varnish and you saw the original red coat underneath. And I mean, it's, it's those details that help us understand how the cars were built and designed and, and painted over time. So I took a ton of pictures. Of and if I would actually be on the ball and send these pictures to John, when I know I'm going to talk about them, he'd be able to put them up on the screen. Yeah, and I'm sitting here going, we're talking about paints and that, and unfortunately, I still have your book here I got to send you before we talk about the car and carriage a caravan museum. But they have a car there. It's a, a 25 Rolls Royce that was or- ordered by Rudolph Valentino. And you look at it, and it, it looks like the paints just cracked and split, and like, what the, what the heck? 
but it was intentionally done like that. I guess Valentino may have passed away before the car was ever delivered to him, but the, it looks alligator. And the idea was to make it kind of look like a leather covered steel body. And just, we always have been trying to do crazy stuff with, with paints, uh, you know, different things, different graphics. I hate the fact that two-tone paints have pretty much disappeared. And I think that's it's nice to have it. My uh, F-150 was a two-tone truck. Uh, and that's about the only place you ever see two-tone. In. <coughs> Excuse me. But uh, throughout history, up until, I don't want to say recent, but last 20 years or so, I think we have, have been exciting with our colors. You know, look at the uh, the colors Chrysler offered in the, you know, the early 70s. You know, um, the the Ford colors, you know, you've got grabber blue and you've got, um, oh, I can't think of the purple color that Chrysler I called their purple. But, uh, you know, and now we've come to, and Jason asked a little bit ago. Plum crazy. Is that the one you're looking Yeah, for? that's it. Plum crazy. Yep. Uh, Jason asked a little bit ago, why are all Teslas white? My question is, why are damn near all cars white? 29% of the cars sold in 2000. 18 in the U.S. were white. I can tell you why. 2019, 28% of them were. Worldwide, 39% of the cars were painted. I can tell you why. Well, there's a, there's one reason, but go ahead. What's your reason? You seem to be excited to talk about that reason. Has anybody gone outside and gotten in their car over the last week? Especially if it's a black one or a dark colored one? You might as well just step inside your oven. Yeah, but have you ever driven a white car with a lot of snow around you where it just kind of <laughs> disappears. <laughs> no, but I grew up in Michigan and yes, that is very true because all the white cars, you always, always disappeared and you always had to look a lot harder in the winter to make sure you weren't pulling out in front of someone. You know, when my dad started buying corporate vehicles for his business, he loved fire engine red, you know, big Dodge four wheel drive pickup, bright red vans, bright red to the point Chrysler did it until 1984. It ended in 1984. And I think one of the last vehicles they did was a uh, Dodge 600 ES turbo convertible. Uh, They painted for a lady and they painted it plum crazy. Uh, They would pull your car off the line if you wanted to for a slight upcharge and paint it. And my dad would have them pull, if I remember correctly now, you know, that's years ago. If I remember correctly, I know it was 83 Dodge van was pulled off the line and painted red. And when he went and got an 85, they wouldn't do that. Anymore. And he ha- had to go to white feet. Um, but it, um, I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, geez, it's not a very good night for my memory. Mm. It might be that error. Yeah, I should be staying focused on this stuff. Yeah. Well, but, if you if you can access your G or your email account, John, um, I sent a couple pictures over of that paint surface. If you get them and you can put them up, but you don't have to, I understand. Um, oh, I guess got to go to the monitor that's got that and see if it wants to tell me it came in. 500 monitors. Yeah, just the oops. no driving gloves control center. And I got to figure out which email you actually sent them to. Two different ones. That way I knew you'd get them. <laughs> download, download. But paint technology, I mean, it, it, while you're doing that, I can certainly jump in. And, uh, you know, modern paint technology is very interesting and in where things are headed. Uh, you know, um, just seeing what is capable in the, I mean, even some of the playing around with electrically charged particles in paint to allow them to change colors. Uh, and I think Jason mentioned one of the new chameleon colors that are out. And there's some amazing colors coming out that, you know, just what I would call, you know, the flip-flop paints that as they move in the sun, they'll change color. And, you know, I think with, again, we're having such a technological boom with everything that's kind of happening that who knows what's going to happen with paint colors. And I mean, even where, and and we're get, it, it gets a little off paint color, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. But just the amazing abilities of what they're doing with vinyl wraps uh, to create colors and the things that can be done with that. Again, don't want to talk deep into that because we're talking paint and paint processes and colors here. But we did have a commenter, though, uh, mention something about vinyl wraps. And we have had two episodes in our past of uh, No Driving Gloves that did mm-hmm. cover 
we, we touched on vinyl wraps. We really need to sit down and do a really solid show about vinyl wraps because not only is it colors, it's textures. And I mean, you can get um, um, uh, like a velvet type wrap. Mm -hmm. You can wrap your car. So it seems like carpeting the exterior of your car. Uh, and of course the metallics and the reflective surfaces and, and I'm not yeah. sure. I just noticed Colin's uh, comment on Ruxton, and it was very out of place. But and I'm I'm guessing I know why he said it because I don't think I mentioned Ruxton. But and and maybe his is his favorite is is the same as mine. But there is a Ruxton out there. Actually, all Ruxtons were painted. Very interesting. I, the one of the sedans. Well, more than one. It's like two or three of the sedans were actually horizontally striped. Just look up Ruxton. It's going to be amazing. But my personal favorite Ruxton is actually one of the convertibles. And it's an incredibly beautiful, um, almost lavender, pink, purple tone. It's I, I don't know what they called it, but almost kind of an amaranth color, uh, which also takes me back to my Crawford days because the, the Studebaker Garford that was built for Mrs. Potter Palmer, it was two colors of, of purple, a purplish pink, amaranth and heliotrope. And it's an absolutely gorgeous car. Uh, and this is 19, that's a 1908, if I recall correctly, 1978 Studebaker Garford in these two amazingly, you know, pink purple tones. And yeah, I mean, it's just, there, there's Ruxton, uh, another car company that just went all out in the late 20s with color well while you were doing that i uh moved your photos there it is look at that for, for the audio listeners i'm sorry Derek forgets that it's hard to show these pictures while you're i've already jogging. described i've already yeah. described these pictures alligator finish i guarantee you yeah. you didn't use a thousand words to describe them and that would be two thousand words because there's two thousand pictures if you want me to i could yeah, I know you could <laughs> you can go back to the clock conversation, <laughs> but that's just a really great example of original paint and, and what it, how it ages over time because they didn't have the, you know, the ability to do what we do today. It was the best technology they had. Well, we'll go with the color revolution beginning. I tried to jump ahead, but GM started to send people to, worldwide and um, like the auto shows in Paris and that to see what was happening elsewhere paint wise and to pay attention to colors and uh, the design. And that's about the same time. Um, I want to say we probably ended up, when did Harley Earl really start? I have a feeling that might've been one of his. But when did Harley Earl start? What do you mean by when did he start? I mean, he started in the early 1900s with his dad at the Earl automobile works. Well, I mean, kind of his influence in design with GM, and he started to take his solid position with them. Well, that was, you know, 19, right? Well, 1927, 28, that they bring, you know, he was yep. contracted to bring out the new LaSalle. And then that was such a success. They had him, they hired him, and he came in and created. Again, we've, we've been, I've mentioned this on the show. It was not design when it started. Do you remember what the, the actual name of Harley's division was when it started? <laughs> it ties right into the night. It was the art and color studio, the art and color section of General Motors. And that's exactly where I was going with that is that it, um, uh, where I guess probably where they started, they started to realize the colors and things coming out and changes. And these panels started to influence car colors and that, um, and then by the time the 50s hit, cars were colorful. Um, you still had your blacks. And but I'm, and I'm trying to think. And I know the Chrysler 300C was white. It seems that there were so many. It doesn't seem like we had the propensity to have white cars. We had some silvers and we had some blacks and we had whites and we had reds and we had yellows and we had blues. And it was a nice gambit. It wasn't this 40% white. Or 30% white, which I also will say leans to corporate vehicle purchases. A lot of corporate vehicles get purchased white, uh, and that helps bump that number up a little bit. 
Uh, but then black and gray, you know, follow next. And here I am talking and I have a white silver car, which is actually a paint color. Um, kind of looks like the, uh, reminds me of the Pearl that Le- Lexus used in a, you know, on the original um, LS 400. But as we got into the 60s, you and this is a, I wanted to find a picture of this car, a good picture, and it's impossible to find, but the um, Beatles Bentley, which actually the Bar- Barber Museum owns now, and it's kaleidoscope of colors. And Janis Joplin's Mercedes. and Janis Joplin's Porsche. Porsche, yes. She sung about her Mercedes. I, I'm not a big Janis Joplin fan. It's, um, but it. I think this, the 60s were exciting, and then we hit the gas recession, and we went dull again. And I don't know if we've ever completely come out of it. But uh, was it Toby who mentioned way early in the comments that in, in the, his dad sold uh, GMs from like 62 to 70, and the brown brown cars never sold? Well, he was just selling them too early. Come back in 75, mm-hmm. 77, they'll start to move. Um, then I don't know how I want to. And I, I was guilty of this. There's this new color out and I don't understand it. It's in the, and it's it's definitely earth tone. I call it putty. Um, former host Sean commented back to me this morning on my personal Facebook page. Uh, he calls it a clear coated primer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and I almost bought a Ford truck in 17, maybe it was 18. And it was the first time I ever saw that color. And I go, ooh, this is neat. There's not going to be a lot of them because it's kind of an ugly color. Now it seems that's the only color Kia wants to paint a car. Hyundai wants to paint a car. <laughs> now, is this, is, this the, is this the more cream yellow toned primer or is this the, the gray primer one? Because they got there, there's both. There's there's the kind of cream yellowish that looks like the you know your cream yellow high build primers, or there's also the gray that you know is out there. So I, it, I know it, what you're... I, I call it. I would say it's more the gray. It's the putty color. Mm, and okay. yep. Brandy and I talk about it all the time. We see it all the time. And how the hell did this become a popular color? It was ugly when I first saw it. And well, I think I, what people like about it, and one of the things I like about those colors that are coming out is they're non-metallic. They're a a they're a solid color that has no you know travel to it. Okay, because that's typically the the term that's used with metallics is the you know the travel of the metallic and what it does to the paint. Um, and they're it's to me you know it's going back to the the mid really kind of the mid and, and late thirties when we had like your gunmetal grays and things like that, that were just a solid tone gray. There was no metallic, there was no anything else to it, but it just became this solid color that actually looked pretty good. And um, when, it, when I've really got thinking about it, Hyundai was one of the, actually I think Hyundai was the first major ma- manufacturer to come out with a um, matte finish car. Uh, it was on the Velocitor, and I think you could get a matte blue and a matte gray. Um, and there was all kinds of washing instructions and disclaimers that you had to sign, supposedly. I don't know where that really went. But that's what these colors remind me of, is like you said, there is no depth to them. It just is there. And it, it, I think that's what it is, is it's the people's love of matte cars, but an, a, an ability to wash and wax them. And can't we get a de- another decent car, something out there? Because what surprised me in doing some research for this show is they say that resale values of vehicles in the rarer colors are actually uh, worth more. Um, trying to find that breakdown that I had. So does that mean that my uh, 2019 Malibu and shadow gray metallic is going to be worth more? Hmm? No, I think that would be one of the, the least valuable. I had this somewhere. Darn. There we go. No. Let's see if I can make this big enough that my old eyes can read. Uh-oh. Clearly you're not because you're not reading it yet. Nope, there we are. Well, it's this stupid. I need to probably subscribe to this site. But um, average depreciation. They say the average car will depreciate 33.6% after um, five years of ownership. Now. 
they do say in this article they might disagree with that because they've seen some places where you can see you know 60% depreciation um um it's just whatever but we're looking we're saying the average car depreciates 33.6% um in 5 years if you have a black car it will actually depreciate 34.4 it's the most depreciation you can get gray 34.2, silver 34.0, and so on. However, the car that'll depreciate the least are yellow cars, 26.2%. Orange cars at 27.6. And the surprising one to me, green cars at 31.3. Because I've always been told that green cars don't sell. Flat period, it's the worst color to have a car in. But do you wonder why, if you're going on Kelly Blue Book to see the value of your car, you know, KBB.com or any of the sites, NADA or um, Edmonds, they ask you your color of the car because the color does matter. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, beige, brown, and gold are 33.3, blue's 33.6. They're right around that average number, 33.6. So I guess blue and white are average and beige, brown, and gold are... Just a touch above average, but it kind of says, you know, everybody go out and buy a yellow car because you're going to have a little bit more money. It's going to be worth a little bit more, maybe. Now, if we get into a huge recession, where will those numbers go? How will that change? Because, you know, much like people didn't want to be seen driving around in, you know, Bugatti Royales and Rolls Royces during the Depression, you don't want to be seen driving around in your flashy yellow Porsche. You would much rather have it probably in that stupid matte putty, whatever color. Old man brown. One of the most popular colors in Porsche right now seems to be chalk white, which is almost the same thing. It's kind of just a dull, to me, it's a dull white. You know what chalk looks like? That's what it is. Maybe new chalk when it's kind of shiny. But I I just have a hard time with it. I mean, I like colorful cars. I hate white cars. I hate silver cars. I've owned silver cars. My Porsche was silver. My the Mini, like I said, is silver white. It's a combination of both. Uh, but and I've had black. But I, you know, I really like my blue cars. Um, I talk about it all the time, and it, and I tried to buy it three times. They gotta have it green Mustang. That 2014 um, Roush Mustang. I almost bought. I loved it because of the color, because it was a Ford. Gotta have it green. And then they did a pearl clear coat over, it, and it just. It just popped. It was different. And I see I see that car occasionally, not as much as I used to. It used to live really close to where I was. But you knew it was that car. You know, before you saw the little Roush things, it just was a little bit different. And I, you know, why does everybody want to blend in and be the norm? I was kind of letting you have a chance. To... Well, yeah, I, was, that's right. I mean, you touched on it, right? Because it's it's that same mentality of, you know, the, the depression and things like that, where you didn't want to be seen in a, a high-end automobile or especially a town car with your chauffeur driving. But, you know, right now with the with the kind of, what is the word I'm looking for here? With the kind of extreme range of economic standing in our country right now from the 1%, you know, the wealthiest elite of this country to the growing number of people living below the poverty level. I'm, I'm trying to not get too political here. Honestly, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I think it is, I think we're in one of those times where people that can afford a nicer car, uh, you know, say, you know, let's even go with something as simple as a Cadillac or, you know, some of the, the, even some of the more affordable Mercedes Benz, the the low end Mercedes Benz, you know, there, there are people out there that are on an income that can afford that, but I don't think they want to stick out because they, they, they know that, you know, there's a lot of difference in our country right now and a lot of um, hard feelings uh, in with the economy and, and things that are going on. And I think we're back to that mentality of, you know what, I, I want a nice car and I want to live that life and I want to, be able to live at my means and and what I can do, but I don't want to stick out because of it. Right. I don't, I don't want to be flashy and and loud. I want to just kind of 
have something nice, but not have it get recognized. No. Hopefully I didn't get too political. I don't know if I agree with you on that one because, you know, I was quickly doing some number searching because I don't think, I don't think the wealthy care anymore. Um, Well, I don't think the wealthiest care. I'm talking about those in that lower middle range of wealth that can afford something nice, but they don't want to stick out. And I think you say you get them buying a little bit more reserved car. Yes. And probably a little bit less in the color, but, for eleven thousand four hundred and thirty dollars, Porsche will paint your nine eleven or your nine eighteen any damn color you want. Paint to sample. That's how much that one option costs, just shy of eleven thousand five hundred bucks. Mercedes used to offer something similar. I don't know if they still do. The Dodge Viper in its final year years of production, you could have it painted any color you wanted for just a small fee. Um, I can't remember what they said, but there was like 16 million colors you could paint your Dodge Viper, which I think that's probably some guy at Fiat saw. Oh, I can get produce 16 million colors on my computer. But I just, there are people out there that want that color and to stand out. And I always say that's why damn near every Lamborghini you see is bright orange or bright green or bright blue or bright yellow. You don't buy a Lamborghini to, to blend in. Now, I know... There's black ones out there. I used to know a guy that owned two black Lamborghinis, identical, so that, you know, when one was in for service, he could drive the other one, whatever. But, and, you know, there's some white ones and things like that. But when you're buying a Lamborghini, you want it to stick out. When you buy a Ferrari, I don't think red's an in color for Ferrari anymore. It's still a traditional Ferrari color. Um, look at the new C8 Corvette. How many colors is that offered in right now? Ooh, uh, ooh. Good question, because they would have changed it up for 2023 model year. Um, but was it maybe about eight to ten? Jason's they? probably going to jump in and know the answer right away. Uh, uh, I don't know. Let's see. This is uh, October 5th, 2021. So this is a little out of date. Um, this try this link first. Uh, C8 colors. 2020 Long Beach Red. Sebring orange, Arctic white, uh, ceramic matrix gray, which is probably that gray we're talking about that we don't oh, like. It very much was. <laughs> Blade silver, black, accelerate yellow, shadow gray, torch red, just one of the most popular Corvette colors in history. Mm-hmm. Um, rapid blue, Elkhart Lake, Elkhart Lake blue, Zeus bronze. I which doesn't that. exist anymore. I saw that color and that's a good looking car. And for 21, you got uh, Sebring Orange, Arctic White, Ceramic Matrix Gray, Black, Accelerate Yellow, Shadow Gray, Torch Red, Rapid Blue, Elkhart Lake Blue, Zeus Bronze. So it's about 12. Uh, Red Mist and Silver Flare. Mm -hmm. And they're expecting Amplify Orange, Caffeine, which I bet's going to be a brown, and Hypersonic Gray. Caffeine's been out for a while. And yes, it's... It's, I, I, I describe it, and a number of us at the museum described it as um, Dr. Pepper um, brown red. No, it's like the, Dr. the aluminum, Dr. Can, oh. aluminum can, Dr. Pepper red. Not, not plastic label, aluminum can. No, I was thinking Dr. Pepper itself. But, or Dr. Pepper but, itself. So even the Cor, you know, Corvette owners have an ability to get a flashy color and... I guess I'm seeing a lot of greens, oranges, yellow Camaros out there. Never see a Mustang. Of course, I think Chrysler still offers uh, purple. I'd say something mean, but I won't. Purple on their uh, their Challengers. Um, but you're just looking in the wrong place for the Mustang, John. You got to look off the side of the road in the ditch. Sorry, I was going to try to be nice. That, that, that's that's kind of old. COVID <laughs> killed the Mustang bashings of jokes. <laughs> I think we're trying to bring them back. I think what happened over COVID, the roads were totally clear and the Mustang drivers (laughs) went out and learned how to drive. There was nothing for them to hit. (laughs) But we don't have a lot of Mustang owners that listen. So it's a uh, how do you know we don't have a lot of Mustang owners? (laughs) Uh, I think Dana's chimed in two or three times now, um, just making sure the comment didn't move. But silver silver is the best. The best. Yeah. And I I want to go back. I want to correct something, Jason, and I'm sure it's just a typo, but um, he was talking about Richard Earl on Facebook. 
Um, and, and he said he posts something every day that his father was working on. Harley was actually his grandfather. Um, so Harley Earl was Richard Earl's grandfather. Details, details, details. Hey, kind of important details. I think Toby stopped drinking and he got the points adjusted on, on the VW. Well, look at that. What a great way to end the show. Well, I was going to say Dana there with the uh, silver tinted, silver with tinted windows. Um, I just think tinted windows look good on just about anything. So, man, if there's a window tint guy out there, I had a buddy who was supposed to do my mini right after I bought it. Still not done. I need to get those things tinted because that that's like Derek was saying. We've swung around to the beginning of the show with points on the VW and then kind of early on in the show where we were talking white colors. My car gets so damn hot during the day. <laughs> um, it's... I was going to say something about the air conditioning, but then I'd go off on home air conditioners. But Oh, Lord, we don't need that. Uh, so that's a little conversation about color. Uh, if you want us to get more into it, but that's kind of how we bounce around, give you our opinions and take them for what they're worth. I haven't said it much this episode. Not a lot of plugging. Um, again, if you shoot me an email, I've sent out a few stickers. If you shoot me an email with your name and address, we'll shoot you a sticker or two. Um, I had a contest or something. Oh, if you uh, send us a email, no driving gloves at gmail.com with a topic suggestion that we actually use. Uh, one, we'll send you a keychain. Two, we might even invite you to be on the show to participate with a conversation on that topic. Uh, so that's a couple of things. No driving gloves.com. Email, links to Facebook, links to uh, all the videos are there. All the audio podcasts are there. Dropping every Friday for audio. So in case you just say you're missing a Wednesday night episode and you're busy or you want to catch up while you're mowing, uh, audio episodes are out there. Just go ahead to go to, uh, I want to say Apple Podcasts. Just go to your favorite. Just go to the website. There's a whole bunch of podcast players there. Uh, Click the one that you can use you use on your phone and just download us every week so that we're there for you. But what is that? Like, follow, and subscribe. You know, pound that like button or, and uh, I don't know, whatever the YouTube thing is. But I'm out of here for tonight, Derek. We'll uh, talk to everybody next week. Sounds good to me. Oh, where's that uh, end broadcast button? Yep, that one right there. That Click one, it. that one? Oh, what, oh, I wanted to. I wanted to do this. I wanted to do this. I like that graphic. Play us off. Oh, I should do the music then too, shouldn't I? There we go. Yeah. No driving close. 